Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Today, we're in our final message in a series that we've been in that we've entitled, Why Did Jesus Say? We have been spending the last, I guess, five or six weeks looking at some of the most difficult things, sayings that Jesus had or has said. But this morning, we're going to actually be looking at something that Jesus did not say. We're asking the question, why did Jesus say nothing about homosexuality? So, it's going to be a good sermon this morning. Um, And you may be asking, James, why are you preaching on this topic this morning? Why are you singling out this specific subject? Of, Of all the things or topics that you could talk about, why do Christians seem to, why do they seem to like to dwell on the topic of homosexuality? Well, let me just tell you that I promise you that it's not because I just want to be controversial and I want to stir up people. But there are two primary reasons that I want to do this. Number one, this is a question that is often raised in our culture. It's a question that is raised in the church. And it all, so it fits in the criteria of this series. What did Jesus say or what did he not say? Secondly, it's important to remember that we are living in an age where the view of homosexuality has greatly shifted, greatly shifted in the past 10, 20, 30 years. For thousands of years, the prevalent view or the prevailing view has been that the Bible, the Bible teaches that God prohibits men and women from engaging in homosexual activities. And that, ho- that, uh, that homosexuality is sinful and that we should not be engaged in it. For thousands of years, I think most of culture, not every single person, but the majority of culture would have said, yes, this book right here prohibits that. However, over the past few decades, there have been many who are teaching, you know, they've been saying, you know, actually... The Bible doesn't prohibit that. We've just been misreading it. Um, And so what we plan to do this morning is to look at a few passages that address this topic. And I'm hoping uh, that you can look at them yourselves and come up with uh, for yourself and decide what it teaches here. So that's that's the the goal of this morning. Um, We are living in a post-Christian society that is really, if, if we're honest, we are biblically illiterate. Not just those who are outside the church, but many that are, that are inside the church. And there are, are a lot of questions about this topic. There is a lot of confusion on both inside and outside the church on the topic of homosexuality. And this was evident to me this week because we sent out an a online survey to our church. And it was interesting to me because 100% of those who filled out the form said that they were a disciple of Jesus. And what that means is, if you say that you are a disciple of Jesus, that means that you follow Jesus and his teachings. You submit to his teachings and that you want to submit, uh, obey his teachings. But as I was, we were going through the list of the questions, it was very clear that we are not in total agreement as to whether homosexuality is prohibited in Scripture. And some were actually saying that, you know, I don't know. So 
Uh, I believe that this topic that we're going to talk about this morning is extremely important for the church to understand what does the scripture teach. So I have an overarching, overarching question that I want to ask this morning, and that is this. Is God anti-gay? In other words, does God hate the LGBTQ community? I want us to, that's the overarching question that I want to ask this morning. Then there's three questions I want to ask underneath that. And that is, what makes homosexuality homosexuality? And then what does the Bible teach about homosexuality? And then third, I'm actually going to get to the, the question that we a, we're asking, why did Jesus never say anything about homosexuality? All right, you guys with me? Let's pray before we, we get into this. Father, we just sang that you are a good, good father. Lord, that is true. Um, we know this because uh, your word tells us so. We know this because uh, you sent your son to die for us. We know, know this because this is who you are from eternity past, and you will always be good. Everything that you do is perfect. And so, Lord, I ask that this morning that you would help us who are imperfect to see you. I ask that you would help us to see you for who you really are this morning on this topic. I ask that you would help us to be willing, all of us, to change our views where we need to and to hold fast to the truth that's found in Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So to begin with, I want to, to answer the question, what makes homosexuality homosexuality? And here's the definition I want to use. Homosexuality is engaging mentally, emotionally, or physically in erotic sexual acts with someone of the same sex. That's the definition that I want to use this morning. Now, when I was in high school, I had a, a best friend, and he was a, a male. We were best friends. We did everything together. We uh, had what we would call we would sleep over at each other's houses. We ended up rooming together in college in the same room and dormitory. Uh, you know what I called him? I called him my man. Uh, to this day, if he calls me, I'm like, what's up, my man? My children call him my man. I love my man. Uh, but we were not in a homosexual relationship. Why? It's because mentally, emotionally, and physically it was non sexual. There was no temptation or desire in that relationship. But I love this man dearly, as I love many men dearly. But the thing that makes homosexuality homosexuality is when you, you cross those lines of sex, sexual engagement with the same sex. Now everyone, if we were to go around the room, I know that everyone has a different opinion on this matter. And the question I want to ask you this morning is what source of information, what source of information is shaping your opinion and your conviction? Is it your feelings, the way that you kind of feel about the subject matter when you hear about it? Or is it society? When you listen to society, you're like, you know what, that makes sense. What they're saying, that makes sense. Or it could be that you have relationships, you know people that are in the homosexual community. And you may have been on this side of the spectrum, but because you have relationships there, you've changed your view on it. Well, as a disciple of Jesus, 
We are to base our view on what? God's Word, right? The Scriptures. We are called to, to base our views on His words, on His view. And as Pastor Terry always says, that God wrote what? A book. God wrote a book. And Jesus is God, right? He's the second person of the Godhead. And that means that he agrees not only with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but he also agrees with all the other letters that were written in the New Testament because they were inspired by him through his uh, apostles. He's also not just the God of the New Testament. Jesus is the God on the left side of the book in the Old Testament. So he gets credit for writing the Old and New Testament. What I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make here is that Jesus endorses the Bible. He endorses this book every single page. And so as disciples of Jesus, we are seeking to go to his word, understand it, and then joyfully obey it. That's what, we say, that's what we're saying when we're saying that we are disciples of Jesus. And then we want to take his word and entrust it to those who will faithfully entrust it to others. So that's, you know, that's what, what I want us to see here at the, at the very beginning is that we, we want to look at the word of God. And the question that we're going to ask is what does this book, what does the Bible teach about homosexuality? Now, as we're getting into this, I want to be clear about something. I am not asking, do you agree with what the Bible teaches? That's not, I am not, I was going to say I'm not going to try to convince you, but I'm really not going to try to convince you that this is true, okay? What I'm trying to convince you is what it teaches, uh, that we would look at this honestly, uh, what it teaches, and not try to twist it or, or change it to a, a view that we want to hold, that we hold, and, and, and want to make it say. Secondly, I want to make a point that the Bible is not a book about homosexuality. That is not what this book is primarily about. This book is about a perfect God who sent his perfect son to save an imperfect people through his perfect sacrifice. That is primarily what this book is about. And uh, it's about knowing. It's about enjoying the God who designed us, the God who created it, created us. And it's, it might be interesting for you to, to discover that there's really only, compared to all the subjects and topics in the Bible, there's only a handful of, of passages that really talk about the, the issue of homosexuality. Uh, but there are enough of them, and I believe that they are clear enough in the Scriptures for us to know what Jesus, who wrote the Scriptures, how he views this subject. So I want to look at a few, uh, few of these passages. The first one is found in Genesis 19, um, known as Sodom and Gomorrah. Now I was looking back, we, I preached through this passage, uh, this uh, chapter, almost two years, it's almost been two years, uh, back in 2019, November of 2019. But if you remember, uh, and you can read through this whole passage, if you remember, uh, two angels came down to Sodom and they, they go to Abraham's nephew, Lot, and they're staying with him. And that night, it says, the scriptures say that, that the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. 
So they surround the house, and what do they say? They say, Lot, bring, and they say this, if you look at the passage, they say, bring those two men out to us so that we may know them. Now, uh, that word know is often translated as having sexual relations with. If you look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, I believe that's where it's at. Adam, it says that Adam knew his wife, and she became pregnant. And so for thousands of years, God's people have understood that the men of the city wanted to have sexual relations with these two. They were angels, but they thought they were men. And uh, some revisionists would say that the men outside were not seeking to have sexual relations when it says know him, know, know them. They just wanted to know them. Like they just wanted to know them better. It's, if you read it in context, Lot says, no, do not do this wicked thing. And then he does, Lot does a horrific thing. He says, here, you can have my two daughters. That, that's horrible. But it's, it's what I'm, the point I'm trying to get at is it wasn't that they just wanted to sit down and have a cup of coffee and get, and get to know them better. No, they try to smash the door down. Um, now, I wish that as Christians, we would have that type of view of, of hospitality. We want to get to know people. I mean, not in a violent way, but that we would be enthusiastic. But clearly, I think if you read the passage and really look at it, that, that is not what's happening in here. Um, this is this, actually the straw that broke the, the camel's back because the, uh, a little bit later, shortly after this, God ends up destroying the city with fire and sulfur from heaven. And so... All throughout antiquity, these cities were synonymous with wickedness. Sodom is where we get our word for sodomy. And when, when Jesus sent the disciples out to call the Jews to repentance, when Jesus was walking on his, in his earthly ministry and he sent his disciples out, he said, if anyone rejects your message, in, in Matthew 10, 13, this is what he says, 10, 15, he says, truly I say to you, if they reject your message, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than that town. So what, what is Jesus doing here? He's, he's citing two cities because it was universally known that God had judged them and destroyed them for their wickedness. So what was the wickedness? Again, for thousands of years, it, it has been understood that they were destroyed in part because of the sin of homosexuality. But then there's those that would argue that their sin was not homosexuality, um, but rather it was uh, the sin of failing to show hospitality to, to these uh, men. Now, they will go to Ezekiel 16, verse 49, which reads this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom, she and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, and did not aid the poor and needy. See, that's social justice issues right there, isn't it? They, did, they didn't take care of, of, the, of their needs. But they, they usually don't go to verse 50, which is, we, we want to go there. It says, they were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Um, social justice issues are never, that I know of, called an abomination in the scriptures. So 
I do not believe that that is the primary reason that God judged them. Actually, the root sin here was not even homosexuality. The, the root sin is pride, if you look at the context of that passage, which led to the sin of social injustice, which I would agree that was one of their sins, and sinful practice, uh, practice of homosexual behavior. This is uh, about Sodom and Gomorrah. is also taught in the New Testament in Jude Verses 5 and 7. Jude writes, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, now look at this. It says that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. This is talking about the Old Testament, that Jesus was back in the Old Testament. Now, this is talking about the book of Exodus that we're about to get into. He says that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Jesus did. And then it says in verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Now, I want to look at uh, the words unnatural desire in that passage because this word is used, uh, this, this term is used uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, when it's speaking about homosexuality. And there are those that would say that that word unnatural, what, that, what the writer is saying there is that these were heterosexuals who were going against what they naturally wanted to do. So that's why God, they went against what they were created to be. But that word unnatural doesn't mean it's something that's against your feelings or it's against... Um, the, your desires. What it's saying is it's, it's unnatural. It's what's going against nature. What that word natural nature, it's, it's going against, um, it's contrary to God's original design. If you, if you study the, those words. So I'll, I just want to remind you again this morning, what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to show what does the Bible, not necessarily what am I teaching, but what does the Bible teach about homosexuality. And I think that it's clear from, the, um, from Sodom and Gomorrah that it's clear that they were judged for engaging in homosexual acts. The second uh, passage I want to go to is Leviticus 18, 22, and chapter 20, verse 13. And, and I, I can just hear it. Um, I can hear... Uh, maybe you're thinking, are you serious? You're going to go uh, quote Leviticus. Um, that is that weird book that, has, uh, that talks about not allowing people to eat bacon. I mean, that's bad, isn't it? That it says you can't eat bacon uh, or shellfish or wear clothes with two kinds of fabric. Um, and uh, this is one of those books that you just pick and choose the, the verses that you want to to believe. And, and I, I get that because on, when I look at the book of Levit Leviticus, there's times I don't want to go there because I know the perception of this book. A lot of people know about this book. So you might be saying, why are you going there? Why are you quoting the book of Leviticus? And well, one of the reasons is because it's one of the most well-quoted books in the New Testament by Paul and Peter. And guess who else quoted it? Jesus. Jesus quoted from the book of Leviticus. And you know what he quoted? It's, it's basically his most, one of his most famous quotes. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. Did you know that that is in the book of Leviticus, to love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, there's some good things in the book of Leviticus. Yeah, in that book. It's all good, right? God is good. Everything he writes is good. And I want to look at these verses, though, that are uh, Leviticus 18.22 and chapter 20 and verse 13. uh, 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And then Leviticus 20.13 says, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now, what is the sin that is being forbidden in here? I think it's important to to back up and and look at context of chapter 18. Uh, There's a list of of sins that are listed in chapter 18. that that I just read that one verse, but it it, uh, prohibits several uh, types of, of sins. That we I think, you know, if I were to go around the room, I think we would all agree with these. Sins like incest. Sins like marrying your wife's sister while your wife is still alive. That, that, that's wrong. Cheating on your spouse, committing adultery. Here's one that's, that's in that list. Sacrificing your children by putting them to death. And then uh, bestiality is one. Now, homosexuality is uh, listed in this list and is placed right before bestiality. And so the question that I would say is, is what does Scripture teach about this? And some would say that, you know, this is, this is um, not talking about all forms of homosexuality here. It's simply forbidding older men from having relations with adolescent boys, or it's, it's forbidding non-consensual sex. But you know what? I want to go back and look at those verses one more time and see if that's what's, what they say. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. Um, It doesn't talk about age. It it doesn't talk about uh, the violence or anything in there. It says you shall not. You could could put the word any in there. You shall not lie with any male. Uh, Leviticus uh, 20 verse 13 says, If a man lies with a male as with a woman. So that's important to look at that too. Because what is the writer of Leviticus doing? They're pointing back to creation. They're saying, if you do what, is, what God created for a man and a woman to do in sexual relations, you are sinning. So, this brings up a question. Why aren't we obeying all the Levitical laws? Have you ever asked that? Okay, if we're going to point this out, why aren't we doing pointing all of them out? And that's a great question. This is something that... Uh, Kelly actually and I were talking about before I was, uh, when I was telling her what I was preparing. This is a question that I think if I were to ask why, many of us may not be able to answer it. But let me, let me answer why. Why are we not just picking and choosing? Why are we uh, not just, when when it comes to bacon, shellfish, and mixed fabrics and other things? Why are we ignoring, seem to be ignoring those, but just picking these out? Well, it's because we need to understand that there are three types of laws that are found in the Old Testament. There's the ceremonial laws, there's the moral laws, and then there are the civil laws. This is important to understand about Scripture. As you're studying Scripture, we need to understand uh, the context and what we are reading. So ceremonial laws, these are the laws that were observed only 
by the nation of Israel. In order to be a part of the nation of Israel, you had to abide by these laws. These included sacrifices, you know, of the sheep and of the bulls and of the goats. This, this included festivals and feasts that the Jews would celebrate. Uh, these, and this is where the specific dietary and clothing restrictions came in, where the cutting of the beard, these were, these were all ceremonial laws that were meant to set the nation of Israel apart from all the other nations, to, so that you would know this is a Jew. Jews do this. This, this is uh, what makes a Jew a Jew culturally. So those are the laws that if you didn't abide by them, you would be considered unclean by them, Okay. So those are ceremonial laws. And then the moral laws. These are laws that relate to justice and judgment and are based, they're based on God. They're based on God's holy and unchanging nature. And I, I, I want to stress the word unchanging. We, we worship a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever, right? He does not change. And so, that, so, so therefore, these laws that are moral laws, they apply to all peoples, in all places, and at all times. Examples of these laws would be uh, laws that prohibit you from harming your neighbor, like murder. I think we all agree that murder is wrong, stealing, adultery, and lying. That's, so that would be the moral laws, unchanging laws that are universal to all mankind. And the last one is civil laws, and this is how the moral laws are specifically fleshed out or upheld within a culture. So that would be the civil laws. Now, homosexuality, just like incest and adultery, they all fall under the moral laws. These are laws, that, again, that apply for all people in all places in all times. That's why in the book of Leviticus, there's a, there are some laws that we will always uphold, and then there are some that you can if you want to, but they're not required. Now, in the New Testament, homosexuality is addressed and forbidden in various passages. And unfortunately, we don't have time to go through them all because of time. But um, I would like to address one instance in the New Testament where the word homosexuality is found in, in the Scriptures. Um, it's found in, in uh, well, actually, it's not found in Romans or Jude, but in 1 Timothy, it's used in 1 Timothy 1.10, and it's used in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, and 10 in um, many of the translations. I want to read uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10b. It says, do not be deceived. I want to stop right there. Paul says, do not be deceived. He says, don't let someone trick you. Don't let someone change your mind about something that's true. Okay, and here's what he's going to say. Don't be deceived about what? Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And then he continues on with the list. He says, will inherit. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in, in saying, well, actually, that's not true. They will. Um, Scripture is teaching that those who practice homosexuality, along with a list of others, again, it's not just one, one thing, there's a list of others that are practicing. What does it mean to practice? What it means to practice is to say, you know what, either I know it's wrong and I don't care, I know the Word of God says that and I don't care, or, you know what, that's not what it says, denying 
the truth of, of Scripture. That's, and, then, and then you engage in what it, whatever it is. You practice it. He said, Paul says that if you do that, you will not go to heaven. And this seems to be pretty clear, uh, except for there are some who would say that that word homosexual that, uh, uh, that is in this passage, they would say that this was put there by biased translators uh, in the early to mid-1900s. It was uh, put there by biased translators who opposed homosexuality so much that they changed the word from the King James, which this is what the King James reads, those who defile themselves with mankind. Now, I grew up with the King James translation. I think it's a good translation, but there's a lot of words in there that I don't understand what that means. Uh, it calls God horrible, terrible. I'm sorry, terrible. He's a terrible God. And I used to go, we're worshiping a terrible God, but that word means uh, awesome. So over time, uh, words change, so we have to give the meaning of what the cult, so we can understand what we're, what we're reading. So those who defile themselves with mankind. To me, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't register. Well, those who, who would say this, they would say that instead of the Greek word arsenokoitai, that's the word that's translated as homosexual, that it, it, should, it should not be um, translated that because it does not refer to all types of homosexuality, all types of homosexual relationships. It doesn't, it's, not a, it's not talking about those that are faithful, uh, uh, monogamous in, in one sense, relationships. But it's involving, it's talking about uh, those that are abusive, those that are coercive, or those of, that are unfaithful. And some would also say that it, uh, it refers to older men abusing male ad adolescents. But we need to look at the word. Uh, we need to look at the Greek word to understand what does that word really mean. And, and uh, arsenokoitai is a compound Greek word. It's, it's two words, and it's actually a word that it seems like the Apostle Paul is the one that coined this, this, uh, these, uh, this terminology. And I don't have time to go into this, but he's actually going back to Leviticus 18 and 19. That, that word is found there. But what uh, arsenal means, it means male. What koitai means is bed. Male bed. Now, when you hear the word bed in the scriptures, it usually refers to sexual relations. It says in Hebrews 13, do not defile the marriage bed, right? So when you talk about a male bed, you're talking about men who bed with men. And so this is, uh, this is what homosexuality would be. So I think the translation is accurate when it says homosexuality. So I think that it's, uh, as we're going through this, what I'm talking about this morning, what, again, what I'm saying is, does the scripture teach this? What does the scripture teach about this? Which leads me to the question that we started with is, why did Jesus never say anything about homosexuality? Uh, this is something uh, that I have heard over the years, and I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, you know, you're right. I, I, he doesn't say anything about homosexuality. As, as if his silence on the topic must mean that he's okay with it. And I've got four 
uh, reasons that I would say that that's not true. And I want to go through that with you real quick. The first is this. Number one, everything that Jesus said is not recorded in the Bible. Um, if everything he did say or did was recorded, John, in John 21, 25, says, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So, number one, everything that Jesus said is not recorded in the Bible. Number two, silence does not prove acceptance on a subject. Um, if anyone is, is silent on a topic, it doesn't mean that they endorse it. And I want to give you examples. Like, Jesus never condemns, in the New Testament, beating your children, abusing your spouse, in injecting heroin in your arm. He doesn't condemn chattel slavery, which we all know is wrong, police brutality. He doesn't talk about sex trafficking, and yet we would all say he's clearly against those, but he never says anything about it. His silence does not mean that he would, would not be against those. How do we know that? Because we know that he wrote this book, and this book would condemn all those, those, those sins, right? So, uh, silence does not prove acceptance. Number three is, homosexuality in first century Palestine was not a first century controversial topic. It wasn't a controversial topic like it is for us today. Every Jew universally would have understood that homosexuality was uh, condemned. It was not a, uh, an acceptable lifestyle. Every single Jew would have known that. Uh, even though it was practiced throughout the, the, the Roman Empire, every Jew would have known it was not acceptable. And so people were not confused about, about this topic. And Jesus, if you study the scriptures, often what he's dealing with is areas where we are confused like I preached about a few weeks ago on marriage and divorce and remarriage. So homosexuality was not a controversial topic back then. And number four, actually he did address homosexuality. And I want to look at Mark 7, verses 20 through 23, just to show you how, this is, how he did. It says that, And Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensual, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person, I would say, spiritually. They defile a person before God. And so, that, and I've talked about this before, but that, that Greek word for sexual immorality applies to any sexual activity outside of marriage. Uh, anything that arouses or leads to erotic sexual relations. And as I shared a couple weeks ago in, in my message on marriage and divorce, Jesus clearly establishes what a marriage is, what God intended it to be from the beginning, one man with one woman. And my children and I have been... Um, have, having discussions as they are getting older and they start dating. And the, the question that, that is asked in our home is, is how far is too far? We, we all need to, to know uh, what the answer is to that. And here, you know what I tell my children? I go to 1 Timothy 5.2, where Paul is talking to Timothy. And here's what he tells uh, Timothy. He says, tell the younger men to treat 
the older women like their moms and then treat the younger women like what? Like their sisters. And then he says, in all purity. So what I've taught my children uh, is that, you know, if you wouldn't do it with your sister, then don't do it until you're married. Um, I think that that's, that's, that's kind of the guideline that I've given our, our children. And some of y'all are giving me that look like, you are really weird. But, uh, but, and everyone has to figure out where that line is, right? But when Jesus prohibits sexual morality, based on the historical and cultural context, we know that every Jew listening would have understood that Jesus was not for homosexuality um, when he denounced sexual immorality in that list that I just gave. So, uh, what does the Bible teach about homosexuality? That's, what we, that's the question, again, I've been trying to, to answer here. Uh, is it teaching that God is anti-gay? Let me put it another way. Is it teaching that God loves heterosexuals and he hates homosexuals? And, you know, I know that that's how what I've shared this morning has often been interpreted. I actually, to the church's shame, would say that that might be kind of one of those unspoken things. Um, yes, Jesus, I think it's very clear that Jesus and his scriptures clearly forbid forbid it, but um, is, is Jesus anti-gay? In other words, would he love you more if you're struggling with homosexuality? Would he love you more if you just become straight? Um, let me tell you this. Jesus is not calling gay people to become straight. That is not the call of Jesus. Uh, being heterosexual does not give you favor with God. It does not get you into heaven. Uh, that's, that's what a kind of an indirect message that we may be giving as, as, at the, as the church. Um, that's what Jackie Hill Perry thought. Now, I've got a picture of her. This is her and her husband and her two children. If you don't know who she is, she is a, a, a former lesbian who came out of that lifestyle. And in her book, Gay Girl, Good God. I want to read what she says about this. She says, uh, this is what she thought. If only I could just be straight and lay aside my homosexuality, God would accept me and call me his own. I, I used to think. This delusion was the belief that only one aspect of my life was worthy of judgment, while the rest deserved heaven. That my other vices were not as bad. They were just struggles that I had to work on instead of repenting. There is a possibility that this kind of self-righteous thinking is why salvation has eluded many same-sex attracted men and women. You will hear them say how they've often sought God's help in this matter. They have asked him to make them straight, and he has, according to them, denied them access to the miraculous. Because God did not take hold of their gay desires and replace them with straight desires, they have no other choice but to follow where their affections may lead. The error is this. 
They have come to God believing that only a fraction of themselves needs saving. They have therefore neglected to acknowledge the rest of them also needs to be made right. It is like coming to God offering only a portion of their heart for Him to have, as if He does not have the right to take hold of it all, or as if what, he has, been, what has been withheld from Him can be satisfied without Him. Listen, Jesus is not calling gay people to become straight. He's calling them. Actually, He's calling all of us to become His. That's the call of the gospel. Not just in our sexuality, but in every aspect of our lives. He wants, like I said last week, He wants all of us. He's calling us to come to Him. He's calling us to come to Him and receive His forgiveness. Not just for our sexuality, but for all of our sin and all of our brokenness. And maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online or listening on the podcast and you're, you may be thinking, I have same-sex attraction desires, and I didn't choose to be this way. I don't want to be like this. Um, I wish I liked the opposite sex, but I don't. Um, no matter how much I prayed about it, God has not changed my desire in this. And, and let me just say um, another, I guess, myth is that uh, has been given is if you truly come to Jesus, those desires are going to go away. Um, I used to think that, man, if I can just get married and have a wife, I'll never struggle with lust again. Uh, every heterosexual man that I've ever talked to who is married says, no, that ain't true, right? That is still a desire that, that heterosexuals have to have relations with more than just one person. And that, according to the scriptures, is an evil desire that we are not allowed to act upon. Why? Because God's angry and mad? No, because, it's because the way he designed us was for one man and one woman to be together. And as Pastor Terry mentioned last week, it's either that or to live a life of celibacy, uh, to glorify God. There's a guy named Sam Alberry. Uh, he's, he wrote a book called Is, Is God Anti-Gay? Sam Alberry has same-sex attraction as a man. He just does not have desires for the opposite sex. He's very open about that, but he chooses to be celibate, to be a eunuch for the glory of, of God, because he knows what the scripture teaches. And he's, and a lot of what I shared this morning came from this book, and also came from Jackie uh, Hill Perry, uh, a lot of the, uh, the things that I shared this morning. And I would encourage, strongly encourage this book, Is God Anti-Gay by uh, Sam Alberry. And uh, I want to be very clear that, you know, when we come to Jesus, it, He doesn't just change all our desires totally immediately. Uh, some, some desires you may wrestle with the rest of your life. And, and that's uh, a truth that I had to get a hold of uh, when I first, uh, as I was growing in my faith, because I kept having desires, evil desires. And Scripture is very clear that believers have evil desires. Otherwise, it wouldn't tell us to quit doing certain things after you come to Christ. And so uh, I just want to encourage you this morning, if you uh, are uh, having those desires, uh, that Jesus wants to meet you right where you are. He wants to meet you right in the middle of wherever you are, uh, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual. Um, and you might be saying, well, I, I don't agree 
with the things you just taught here, and you know what I'd say to you? Okay, that's cool. I want to encourage you to keep coming to Reach Life. Um, I hope that you'll keep coming and let's hang out together. I'd also say, hey, let's get together and talk. I want to hear why you don't agree with this. What, what is it? Um, you're going to actually help me learn more, and hopefully I can share, uh, and, or Terry or anyone that's following Christ can help you see some things. Um, you may be a Christ follower and say, I don't agree with everything you said this morning. I want you to know that you are welcome here. Uh, this is a church where you're welcome to ask questions. You're welcome to disagree in a way that we are going to uh, discuss, to understand, not to fight and just have arguments, but to understand. But I do need to warn you that if you do stay and have conversations with me, I'm going to try to convince you of something. And it's not that you would become a heterosexual. I'm going to seek, and this is what I seek to, to, to uh, convince myself and the whole church every single week and every day, I'm going to try to convince you that Jesus loves you. That's the first thing I want you to, that we got to understand. God is for us. Uh, that we're valuable. We're all valuable. Uh, we were created in His image. And we're so valuable to God. And this is, that's the mystery of mysteries for me. I don't know why uh, I'm valuable to Him, but I am. And how do I know it? Because He sent His Son. And He didn't just send Him down here to tell me, James, you're headed in the wrong direction. He sent him down here to turn me around to life, to take me back to the, the Garden of Eden, to the way things were meant to be. And if you know me, you know they're not right yet in me. You know that I'm still wrestling with these things. I still struggle with things. Uh, my family knows this and those who know me. But I know that I'm changing. I know that Jesus loves me. And listen, whoever you are, uh, that's what I'm going to try to convince you. And as you understand more and more that, that Jesus loves you, it, he begins to win your heart. He died for us so that we would live for him, so that we would see that he is all that we need, not just in our sexuality, but in every area, area of life. Amen? Let's pray.